Moby Dick by Herman Melville Adapted for radio by Steph Penny Call me Ishmael Some years ago, never mind how many Having nothing in particular to interest me on shore I thought I would sail about a bit and see the watery part of the world. Whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially when my devils get such an upper hand that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from stepping into the street and knocking people's hats off, then... I account it high time to get to sea. I suppose you are landsmen of weekdays pent up in lath and plaster, tied to counters, nailed to benches, clinched to desks. I reckon if you but knew it, most of you cherish the same feelings towards the ocean. So it was one freezing Saturday night in December that I arrived on the island of Nantucket, a shirt or two in a carpet bag, my only luggage. I sounded my pocket and came up with so little that I walked waterwards, where the establishments become smaller and cheaper, until I came across a dim-lit, palsied old house whose sign had a poverty-stricken sort of creak to it. It read, The Spouter Inn, Proprietor, Peter Coffin. Uh, the Grampus has just come in after four years at sea. Not a bed unoccupied. Oh, well, is... Uh, unless you uh, had no objection to sharing a harpooner's blanket, have you? I suppose you are going to whaling, so you'd better get used to that sort of thing. Well, I, I don't like to sleep too in a bed, and, and if I ever do, I like to choose my companion myself. Keep that door shut, shipmate! Turn us all to icicles! Well, I suppose I might put up with half of any decent man's blanket. Is he here? He ain't here now. He's out a, a peddling tonight. And I don't see what on earth's keeping him so late. Maybe he can't sell his head can't sell his head. You're telling me that this man is peddling his head around town? Yeah, and I told him he wouldn't sell it. The market is overstocked. <laughs> Ain't there just too many heads in the world? I've no notion of sleeping with a madman. And, and you, Mr. Coffin, trying to make me do so, render yourself liable to criminal prosecution. Yeah, well, well, be easy there. This here harpooner has just arrived from the South Seas where he bought up a lot of embalmed New Zealand heads. And he sold all of them but one. And that one he's trying to sell tonight, because tomorrow is Sunday. And it wouldn't do to be selling human heads about the streets when folks is going to church. <laughs> ah, look now, it's, it's after 12. Tis Sunday. <laughs> I reckon he's come to anchor. <laughs> you won't see him tonight. But sometime later... 
as I lay under the counterpane in that freezing room. The door opened, and a figure came in. I resolved to feign sleep. But when he turned towards me, I nearly sang out. Such a face he had. In the candlelight, it was of a dark, purplish yellow, stuck over with large, blackish squares. And as he undressed, I saw that his chest and arms and legs were covered over with the same dark squares, and the only hair on his head was a small knot twisted up on his forehead. He took out a tomahawk, and before I could shout, he stuffed it with tobacco and lit it before climbing into bed on top of me. Who the devil you? Speak out, dummy, or I kill ye. Landlord! For God's sake, Peter Coffin! Peter Coffin, help! Speaky! Help! Speaky! Tell me who you be. What on earth is the matter? I, I can't sleep here. Oh, ah, I understand. <laughs> Don't you be afraid now. Uh, Quick, Craig here wouldn't harm a hair in your head. Turn flukes again and go to sleep. Queequeg, look here. You sabby me, I sabby you. This man sleeps here. You sabby? I sabby plenty. Tell him to stash his tomahawk there or his pipe or whatever it is. I don't fancy a man smoking in bed with me. I ain't insured. There. I finish. Get into bed. Thank you. Uh, I wish both of you gentlemen... Good night. <clears throat> well, uh, good night. Uh, Quee Quag, did he say? Quee Quag. What's your name? Ishmael. If I had been astonished on first catching glimpse of so outlandish an individual as Queequeg, that astonishment soon departed. He was the son of a chief who had run away to sea, wanting to learn from Christian whalemen, until he saw that Christians were, on the whole, both more miserable and more wicked than all his father's heathens. He was a man who never cringed and never had a creditor. In the days that followed, we became bosom friends and resolved to ship together. Queequeg, there are three ships crewing up for whaling voyages. Mm. Uh, this one here, the, the titbit, uh, over there, uh, the, the, the black one, Devil Dam, or there, the Pequod. You may have seen many a quaint craft in your day, for aught I know. But take my word for it, you never saw such a rare old craft as the Pequot. She was a ship of the old school, seasoned and weather-stained in the typhoons and calms of all four oceans. Her bows looked bearded, her ancient decks worn and wrinkled, but to all her old antiquities were added new and marvelous features. Her open bulwarks were garnished like one continuous jaw with the teeth of the sperm whale. And the thews ran through not blocks of land wood, but sheaves of sea ivory. Scorning a wheel, 
she sported at her helm a snow-white tiller, carved from the lower jaw of her hereditary foe. A noble craft, but somehow melancholy. Excuse me, sir, are you the captain of the Pequod? Supposing I am, what dost thou want of him? I was thinking of shipping. Oh, wast, wast thou? Thou art no Nantucketer. Ever been in a stove boat? No, sir, never been shipwrecked. Dost know nothing at all of whaling, then? No, sir, but I've been four voyages in the merchant service, and I... A have merchant service be damned! Ah, it looks a little suspicious, don't it? Hast been a pirate? Didst rob thy last captain? No. No. Then what takes thee a whaling? I want to know that before I think of shipping ye. Well, sir, I want to see the world. I also want to see what whaling is. <laughs> he wants to see what whaling is. Have ye clapped eyes on Captain Ahab, lad? Who's Captain Ahab, sir? Captain Ahab is the captain of this ship. I'm mistaken, then. I thought I was speaking to the captain. Oh, thou art speaking to Captain Peleg. It belongs to me to see the Pequod fitted out for the voyage and supplied with all her needs, including crew. Captain Ahab is at present sick and keeps inside his house. But if thou wants to know what whaling is, clap eye on Ahab, young man, and thou'lt find that he has only one leg. Was the other one lost by a whale? Come nearer to me, young man. It was devoured, chewed up, crunched by the most monstrous parmaceti that ever chipped a boat. Oh, well, uh, what you say is no doubt true enough. Then I... let us understand each other. I have given thee a hint about what whaling is. Do you yet feel inclined to it? I do, sir. Art thou the man to pitch a harpoon down a live whale's throat and then jump after it? Answer quick! If it should be positively indispensable to do so, then I am. So Queequeg and I signed our lives away for the next three years, and were turned loose to wait out the time until the Pequod was ready to sail. I found my way, as every sailor does, to the whaleman's chapel. The walls of that austere place were lined with black-bordered tablets. There were many. John Talbot, aged 18, lost overboard near the Isle of Desolation. Captain Ezekiel Hardy, killed by a sperm whale in the bows of his boat off the coast of Japan. Others were lost at sea, still more presumed drowned, and all in the loneliest, most far-flung corners of the globe. I never saw two steaks disappear so fast. More, gentlemen? Aye, more. I tell you, Queequeg, reading those tablets in church this morning made me shiver. I said to myself, Ishmael, that same fate may be thine. What of it? Yes, uh, indeed, what of it? <laughs> we'll make a whale man of you yet. Have another drink. In fact, I suppose whaling offers excellent chances for promotion. How so, Ishmael? Well, uh, a stove boat would make us immortals. Immortals? Yes. <laughs> we would be gods. <laughs>
But the next morning, I felt more a ghost than a god. Before dawn, Queequeg and I shouldered our bags and left the inn for the last time. Fog shrouded the island. The town was silent and deserted. And yet, as we arrived at the harbor, I thought I saw four or five shadowy figures dart through the mist towards our ship. Did you see that, Queequeg? Over there. No, no one there. Too early, Ishmael. You're right. My eyes deceive me in this mist. Avast, shipmate! Have you shipped in that ship? Have you signed on to her? Uh, you, you, you mean the Pequod? What of it? Anything down there about your soul? What? Or perhaps you haven't got any. No matter. I know many chaps of heaven. They're all the better for it. A soul's a sort of fifth wheel to a wagon, ain't it? What are you jabbering about? You haven't seen him yet, have you? Old Ahab? Captain Ahab, I mean? You haven't seen him? No, he's been sick, but we'll be all right again before long. Ha! All right! Before long! Looky, Captain Ahab will be all right again when this dump of mine grows back and not before. You don't know about that thing that happened to him off Cape Horn when he was struck by lightning and lay like the dead for three days and nights? Nothing about the deadly scrimmage afore the altar in Santa? Nothing about the silver calabash he sped into? No, I didn't think you did. How could you? What this gibberish of yours is about, I don't know. And I don't much care. It is the easiest thing in the world for a man to look as if he had a great secret in him. Ah, well, you've shipped. Names down on papers. What's signed is signed, and what's to be will be, and then again, perhaps it won't be after all. <laughs> uh, he's, he's cracked, Queequeg. Come on. Didn't you see anything that looked like man going towards the ship a while ago? I, th I thought I did, but it was too dim to be sure. Mm, very dim. Very dim. See if you can find him aboard, will you? Why? Mm. Morning, team. Morning, team. Oh, when you get there, tell him Elijah's decided not to make one up. <laughs> Enough talk. We go. Come, Ishmael. When we boarded the Pequod, it was as silent as the grave. Not a soul to be seen. The figures I saw must have been phantoms of the fog and my imagination. It was another hour before the crew began to come aboard, red-eyed and stinking from the night before. Who be ye, boys? Shipmen. I'm Ishmael. This is Queequeg. Aye. You'll be the harpooner of her, teller. Who be you? Darchi. When does she sail? Today, I suppose. The captain came aboard last night. What captain? Ahab. Who but him indeed? Aye, aye. We'll be off by the noon tide. That's Starbuck. A lively first mate, that. A good man and pious. All alive now! Ye sons of battlers! Man the capstan, damn ye! And that's Stubb. Not so pious. Spring there! Aft here! Look lively, man! Is that the way they heave in the merchant service? All left! Spring, green pants! What's your name? Ishmael, sir. Well, Ishmael, cop onto that shroud. You're not here for your health. 
And so, on a short, cold Christmas day, we glided into the wintry ocean, whose freezing spray cased us in ice, as in a glassy armor. I scrubbed decks and hauled on shrouds and climbed the masts. I was part of the machinery of the ship, but I had no say in its fate. The driving force of this story, the hand at its tiller, was not mine. I was a cog, a watcher, a listener, but of no more consequence to that world than a seaborne ghost. Archie, tell me, what are the mates like? Well, you've heard him shout. Starbuck is a good man. Quaker? Nantucket born? Says he'll have no man in his boat who ain't afraid of a whale. And you, Queequeg, you're his harpooner. You'll be right enough with him. He's no crusader after perils. Ah. And the others? Second mate, Mr. Stubb. He's all right. More bark and bite. He's been whaling for 30 years or more. For him, the prow of a whaleboat is like an easy chair. His harpooner is Tashtago from Gay Head. His ancestors hunted the moose, now he hunts the whale. Third mate, the little fair-headed mannequin is called Flask. His harpooner is Dagu, the big fella. Another heathen like Queequeg here, only from Africa someplace. There don't seem to be many... Americans in the crew, as opposed to officers, I mean. No, I think you're the only one. Well, I suppose Tashtago is an American. In fact, more of an American than you'll ever be. But the crew? No, the crew are islanders, mostly. Take me. I'm from the Isle of Man. And take Queequeg here. He's from... Where is it you're from, shipmate? Kokovoko. Tis an island, I imagine. Best island in the world. Then there's those from Canaria. The Azores, of course and Malta, and Sicily. Even Tashtego is from Martha's Vineyard, what's an island. Just you, then, from a big, massy continent. You and Dagu. I'm from Manhattan, Archie. That's an island, too. Aye, there you are, then. And Stubb. He's from Cape Cod. But that is all but surrounded by the Atlantic Sea, like a head by air. What's that? It's him. Well, Captain Ahab. Does he go abroad only at night? Did they tell you that leg of his is carved from whale ivory, from the jawbone of a spermaceti? The whale that took off his leg? Nay, that one yet lives. We saw a whale yesterday. Why didn't we chase him? That bowhead whale, Ishmael. Bowhead for children to catch. Or English. Oi. Spermaceti oil is worth ten times what Bowhead's oil's worth, and so it should be. For it's the difference between hunting a rabbit and hunting a lion. For the Bowhead has no teeth, and he never took off no man's leg. Town Ho! Town Ho! There she blows! Where away? Three points of the Labod Beam! Three miles. She blows. Eight bells. Raise top gallant. Raise top gallant. Send everybody aft, Mr. Starbuck. Captain Ahab, sir. There's a whale three miles distant. It is a finback. Bring everybody aft. 
Mastheads there, come down! Everybody out! What's happening? Captain say, Finback way. Too fast. Can't catch him. What do you do when you see a sperm whale, men? See not for him. And what do you do next? Lower away and after him. And what tune is it you pull to, men? A dead whale or a stove boat? We are on the lookout for a white whale. Look! You see this Spanish ounce of gold? It is a $16 piece, men. Whosoever of ye raises me a white-headed whale with a wrinkled brow and a crooked jaw, whosoever of ye raises me that white-headed whale with three holes punctured in his starboard fluke, lucky, whosoever of ye raises me that same white-headed whale, he shall have this gold ounce. It is a white whale, I say. A white whale. Skin your eyes for him, men. Look sharp. If you see by the bubbles, sing out. Captain Ahab, that white whale must be the same that some call Moby Dick. Do you know the white whale, Dagoo? Does he fantail a little curious uh, before he goes down? And has he a big spout, very bushy? Does he have many irons in him? All twisty, twisty like, like, like corkscrews. Yes. I quick wag the harpoons lie all twisted and branched in him. I, Dagu, his spout is a big one, like a bushel of wheat, and he fantails like a split jib in a squall. Death and devils, men, it is Moby Dick ye have seen. Captain Ahab, I have heard of Moby Dick. Was it not he that took off thy leg? Aye, Mr. Starbuck, it was he that dismasted me. Moby Dick that brought me to this dead stump I stand on. It is that accursed whale that raised me. Made a poor pegging lover of me forever and a day. And I'll chase him round Good Hope. And round the Horn and round the Norway Maelstrom. And round Perdition's Flames before I give him up. This is what ye have shipped for, men. To chase that white whale until he spouts black blood and rolls pin out. What say ye, men? Will ye splice hands on it? I think ye do look brave. Aye! Aye! A sharp eye for the white whale. A sharp lance for Moby Dick! God bless ye, men. The measure, steward! The great measure of Brown. That was my first sighting of Captain Ahab. I had heard of the livid white mark that streaked from the roots of his hair down his scorched face, and on, so they said, to the sole of his foot. And I had heard of his barbaric white leg, shining like a bleached skull. But there on the quarterdeck, with one arm hooked around the main shroud, his burning eyes raking the horizon. He looked like a figure petrified by fire, tempered into a blade, forged for a single purpose. Mr. Starbuck, what's this long face? Wilt thou not chase the white whale? Art not game for Moby Dick? I am game for his crooked jaw and for the jaws of death too, Captain Ahab. 
if it comes in the way of the business we follow. But I came here to hunt whales, not my commander's vengeance. How many barrels will thy vengeance yield? It would not fetch much in our Nantucket market. <laughs> Nantucket market. Let me tell thee, Starbuck. My vengeance will fetch me a great premium here. Vengeance on a dumb brute that simply smote thee from blindest instinct? To be enraged with a dumb thing, Captain, seems blasphemous. Talk not to me of blasphemy. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. Look, man. Are not the crew one and all with Ahab? Advance, ye mates! Hold up your lances before me. Let me touch the axis. Come, my pagan kinsmen, my valiant harpooners. Cut your seizings and draw the poles. Bring your irons here. Now, cant them over. Turn up the socket for a goblet. So! Now Ahab caused the three mates to cross their lances and grasped the point where the irons met. And then he called the three harpooners and had them unsheath their harpoons and turn them over. Whereupon he filled the sockets with grog. Now, three to three ye stand. Lift the murderous chalices. Drink, ye harpooners, drink and swear, ye men that man the deathful whaleboat's bow. God hunt us all if we do not hunt Moby Dick to his death. Death to Moby Dick! Death to Moby Dick! What think you? ...of our captain's quest, Mr. Stubb. <laughs> I don't think, Mr. Starbuck. I do as I am bidden. I tell you what I think. I am here to kill whales for my living... ...and not to be killed by them for theirs. I have no fancy for fighting a fish that too much persists in fighting me. He's a big old bull, by all accounts. I guess his oil's as good as any. I have a wife and child in Nantucket, and I intend to return to them. So do we all, Mr. Starbuck. But this one-pointed madness... Mother! Do you hear that? I've heard that noise before. It must be the rats in the bilges. Oh, don't tell me that's rats. It's more like... There, again. There. Seems like noises from the hold. What can it be but rats? I don't know. Maybe... men? What men would be down in the hold? I suspect Ahab knows something of it. Meaning what? Mr. Starbuck, I want to show you something. I know not. I told you. I am not paid to think. Our chart. I have plotted our course. We will soon round the Cape and head for the Seychelles ground. Then the Bay of Bengal. We should be here in time for the season on the line. But we do not wait. We head on. On to the Strait of Sunda and into the China Seas. What are these marks there? Those mark where he has been seen and at what times? He. 
You mean the white whale? I will dog his tracks, Mr. Starbuck. I will haunt him. I will follow him along his roads and to his feeding grounds and to all his watery inns and stopping places, and I will find him. You note he has most often been seen here, off Japan. That is where we shall be next year, by summer, waiting for him with sharpened teeth. Captain, we cannot spend our entire voyage searching for one fish. He has the whole watery world to swim in. It is madness. Not madness, Mr. Starbuck. I have made a study of this in the years since we met. I know him, and we will meet him there. What would our owners say if they could hear you speak thus? They rely on us to bring home a ship full of oil. There are widows and children among them. They depend on us. This ship and crew are not your playthings to serve your private purpose. Mr. Starbuck, our owners rely on us to kill whales and not hang back. Moby Dick is a whale. I intend to kill him. You see, boy, there are whales that bear malice, and there are whales that whalers do battle with from one year to the next and escape, that grow old and cunning as well as devilish. Archie, is that true? Him speak truth, Ishmael. Whalers no fish names. I fat New Zealand Tom. He fat whalers for 50 years. And Mokan, Lord of Japan, size of island and black like pitch. I got an iron in Timor Jack before he escaped. New Bedford whaler killed him, I heard. New Bedford. <laughs> Only because he was old and sick. Surely a whale is but a big fish. A dumb thing. Maybe. But you stick your dart in a regular whale, he runs away from you in pain and terror. Like you would if I stuck a dart in you. But Moby Dick, when stuck by desperate hunters, ran away as if in panic, then turned and bore down on them and stove their boats to splinters. And the captain seized up a knife and dashed at him like a duelist and tried with a six-inch blade to reach the fathom-deep life of the whale. That captain was Ahab. Then it was that Moby Dick reaped away Ahab's leg as a mower a blade of grass. That made him mad. He was a raven lunatic on the voyage home. Such strength in him still that the mates were forced to lace him fast in his hammock. Surely an accident of the chase, not evil design on the whale's part. I have seen whales crunch up a boat in their jaws. Even turn and ram a ship with its brow, which is a great battering ram ten feet high. But he's not truly white. I know whales are black. White as hill of salt. Aye, white. A huge old warrior whale with harpoons in him thrown by ancient men. I've seen whales whose flesh yielded up the strangest stone spearheads, buried deep and long heeled over. Where they were thrown, I could not say, nor when. It is time to sleep. I cannot help but think of that ragged prophet on the wharf at Nantucket. Remember Queequeg? <laughs> that was madman. Captain want kill whale. I want kill whale. 
Don't care what color Ishmael. Black, white, is well, all same. was our first sighting of a pod of whales. The line tubs were fixed in place, the cranes thrust out, and the whale boats swung out over the sea like samphire baskets over high cliffs. Queequeg, Archie, and I, with the rest of the boat crews, hung on to the rail outside the bulwarks, one foot poised on the gunwale, ready to spring. Then, from nowhere came the sound of more running footsteps, and all eyes turned to Ahab, who was suddenly surrounded by five dark phantoms as if formed out of air. Noiselessly quick, the strangers cast loose the tackles of the fourth whaleboat, until now deemed a spare. Four of the men looked like natives of the Manilas, but the fifth, their leader, was tall and swart. But, strangely crowning this blackness, a glistening turban of white hair was wound and plaited round his head. All ready there, Padula. Ready, my captain. Lower away, then. What did I tell you, Mr. Starbuck? There are your rats, if you please. Must have stowed aboard before we sailed. A sad business, Mr. Stark. The white whale's at the bottom of it, Mark Yee. Well, it can't be helped. It ain't the white whale today. What are you looking at? Lower away, damn you! All four whaleboats were lowered. And as we pulled out from under the lee of the Pequod, Ahab's boat slid ahead bespeaking how potent a crew was pulling him. Those tigerish creatures of his seemed all steel and whalebone. Like five trip hammers, they rose and fell as one. But we all pulled our hearts out. Pull, my good boys! Pull! Put out your eyes, men! Ram a skewer through your necks! You have no limbs but arms! <laughs> Long and strong, boys! Long and strong! The whales separated, and the boats drew apart, each choosing its prey. The sky darkened, and a fog stole upon us, the waves mounting. But we rode on, and we gained. It was wondrous, thrilling. The raw recruit marching into the fever heat of battle cannot feel stranger or stronger emotions than the man who first finds himself pulling into the charmed, churned circle of the hunted whale. Pull, boys! Break your backs! Here we come! Quick, quick! All down! Hardcore ready! There! It felt as though the boat struck a ledge. 
something rolled and tumbled like an earthquake beneath us. A wave swamped us. A gush of scalding, stinking vapor shot up nearby. And we were half suffocated as we were tossed helter-skelter into the white, curdling water. Ishmael? Aye, sir. Boat's all right. Just overturned. Seas calm. We'll lash on. Ship will come along and pick us up. Never fear. Night fell. We clung to our upturned craft, but there was no sign of the ship. There is an intolerable loneliness to swimming in the ocean out of sight of land. And at night, it is like being suspended in space. Blackness above, blackness below. And in either blackness, who knows what. My hands grafted to the cedar planks like barnacles, in knowledge that this wooden shell was all that held me to the world of men. Quick, does, uh, does this sort of thing happen often? What? Ending up in the water. Left. Like this. Oh, yes. Pretty often. You don't stay dry in the fishery, lad. <laughs> They'll come. They need us. Need Quigquake's right arm. They'll find us. Just gotta watch for sharks nibbling your toes. Oh. Archie is pulling your leg, Ishmael. Sharks will leave us alone. Right. Just as well. We didn't stick that whale, though. Or blood would have brung him. Archie, save your breath. Or I'll have you singing it till daybreak. We spent the whole long night clinging to the boat, keeping each other awake and thus alive, until, in the mists of the next dawn, the Pequod found us, and they hauled us aboard. Oh, oh Queequeg. Oh, my dear friend, I thought last night was our last night on this earth. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted to say... Here, lad, drink! <sighs> Your head's waterlogged. <laughs> Mr. Stubb, I, I think I heard you say of all the whalemen you ever met, Mr. Starbuck is by far the most careful. I suppose going plump on a flying whale in a foggy squall is the height of prudence. Certain. I've lowered for whales from a leaking ship in a gale off Cape Horn. Oh. On board, my 11th commandment is don't think. And the 12th is... Sleep when you can. Get below. I think I will go below and, uh, and make a draft of my will. Quick, you shall be my lawyer, executor, and legatee. Strangely, once I had made my will, my mind was easier. All the days I should live would be as good as the days that Lazarus lived after his resurrection. 
I had survived myself. My death and burial were locked up in my chest. I looked around tranquil and contented, like a peaceful ghost sitting snug inside the family vault. There was little time to ponder our mortality, nor to recover from our dip. For that day we ran across the pot again, and Stubb killed a large bull. We towed the carcass back to the ship, with chains moored at stem and stern, and began the business of trying out the whale. Now I wonder if you landsmen know what lengths are gone to, to bring you your oil? What dangers are run to bring you light? After risking life and limb to catch the monster, every sailor becomes a butcher, and every ship a shambles, all in the name of enlightenment. The fruits of the whale are, first, his skin or blubber, which is fastened onto with a giant hook and peeled off in a great spiralizing strip, much as you or I would peel an orange. All the while, hundreds of sharks snap at the remains, tearing chunks out of the whale, and chunks out of each other, and even, so voracious is their hunger, chunks out of themselves. The sea about the carcass is churned into a pink and boiling frenzy, and the men working on the whale do well to avoid slipping into it, else they would be scoured to the bone in minutes. This blubber is chopped into lumps, these lumps sliced up into pages, and the resulting fatty books are cooked in the great triworks of midships until they give up their oil. The shreds of tried-out blubber dry to crisp pieces called fritters, which are used to feed the fire under the tripods. So the whale consumes himself. He is boiled on a fire fed with his own body. When the blubber has been stripped, a mate has then to perch on the slippery peeled carcass and, with a spade, sever the body from its infinitely more valuable head, all the while being careful not to spill its precious contents or chop off his own foot or throw himself to the sharks. Then the head, all twenty-odd feet of it, is hoisted even higher out of the water, and it cants the ship over with its weight, until the deck is an oaken hillside. The bluff-fronted head of the sperm whale is not full of brains, alas for it, and all to the good for you, but of the sweetest oil. The case alone which is the tank in the upper part of its head, holds 500 gallons of precious spermaceti in its pure, limpid, violet-scented state. There are other marvelous parts to the whale, which all have their uses and wonders. There is white horse from the tapering part of the fish, a dense mass of muscle that, cut in blocks, looks like Berkshire marble and yet contains oil. There is plum pudding, pieces of flesh that here and there adhere to the blubber, like a golden cake studded with plums and rubies, crimson and purple. 
it is extremely hard to keep yourself from slipping behind the mainmast with a piece and tasting it. There is slob gullion, a mysterious, oozy, stringy substance that appears in tubs of cooled spermaceti, and which I take to be the ruptured pearlescent lining of the case. Then there are teeth, to be carved into scrimshander, and bones, to be made into legs and tillers, and nippers, rubbery wedges of the tail, wonderful for cleaning the decks. And, very occasionally, but only if you catch an old or blasted or dyspeptic whale, you might find, deep in its bowels, lumps of what looks like ripe, mottled cheese of a color between yellow and ash. You might, thinking of where it has come from, and from the gray, waxy, lumpish look of it, want to leave it alone. But once you smell the intense, spicy perfume, and once you know that its value is a guinea an ounce to any Paris perfumer, why then you will seize up as much of this ambergris as you can possibly carry. But the bulk of the job, you may well be thinking, of butchering the poor whale is bloody and stinking and hellish, and you'd be right. Smoke from the tripod smells like the left wing of the Day of Judgment. The fires burning night and day are as hot as Satan's hoof. The men stoking and stripping and slicing are matted devils begrimed with oil, blood, and soot. Well might you think that a whale ship, freighted with savages, laden with fire, and burning a corpse, is an argument for the pit. It is the Jeroboam out of Nantucket. Captain Mayhew, as is married to my sister's husband's cousin. Nantucketers, Queequeg, they, they might have mail. <laughs> Mr. Stubb, who's standing next to the captain? I think that must be the fanatic. What fanatic? Aniska Yuna Shaker, that claims to be the Archangel Gabriel. <laughs> What's he doing on a whaling ship? Lord alone knows. He's a heretic and an opium eater. Art thou coming aboard, Captain Mayhew? Thank you, I will not. We have a malignant fever aboard. Think of the fevers. Beware the horrible plague. Gabriel, please. Hast thou seen the white whale, Captain? The white whale? Aye, we have seen it, the more's a pity. Think of thy whaleboat. Stove, sunk. Havoc, havoc. This... Gabriel was indeed Stubbs' fanatic. It seemed, from Captain Mayhew's story, that he had gained a marvelous ascendancy over almost the whole crew, with the effect that he would not work, and the captain could not discipline him, for fear of mass desertion. 
Gabriel conceived the notion that Moby Dick was no mere whale, but was his shaker god incarnate, and warned the captain against attacking him. But their first mate, a man called Macy, was keen to be after him. And when they sighted the white whale a year later, he was in the bows about to hurl his lance when a broad white shadow rose from the sea. The whale flicked his tail, and the mate was smitten bodily out of the boat. Not a chip of the boat was harmed, nor a hair of any oarsman's head. But the poor mate forever sank. I foresaw it. I saw the blasphemer's end. Where did you see him? Off the Moluccas, half a year ago. You, you don't intend to hunt him, Captain Ahab? I do! Think of the blasphemer, dead and down below the waves. Thou art going to meet him. Fare, farewell, Captain Ahab. I beg you, seek other prey. Curses throttle me. What sort of captain lets a lunatic take control of his ship? Captain Ahab. Huh? Uh, uh, a moment. What is it, Mr. Starbuck? Art thou affrighted by the ravings of a madman? <laughs> no, sir. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to speak of this before. Hmm? But the men noticed that Fadula and his crew did no work in trying out the whale. All the men were at it night and day, save for them. It, it don't seem fair, sir. Is the ship short-handed, Mr. Starbuck? It, it ain't that, sir. Uh, but the men see them lounging on deck and, and doing nothing. It, it is bad for their morale. We have a full crew to man this ship. We do not need more men. Then why are they here? They eat the same food. They walk the same boards and... They have no stake in the getting of oil. They are here to help me alone. For pity's sake, why? You once said that this ship and its crew were not my private playthings. These men are. Great God! The white whale has turned your reason. Hark ye yet, Starbuck. Hark ye. If thou requirest a little lower layer, all worldly objects are pasteboard masks. But in each... Some unknown but reasoning thing puts forth the molding of its features from behind the mask. To me, the whale has shown its face. He tasks me. He heaps me. I see in him outrageous strength with inscrutable malice sinewing it. That inscrutable thing is chiefly what I and I will wreak that hate upon him. Captain, you talk as though the whale were the devil himself. It was happen chance what took your leg off. And you talk like a godless man, Mr. Starbuck. Have you never seen the devil show his face? You are too subtle for me. Will you tell your boat crew to do whaler's work? Enough. Be gone, Starbuck. What would the owner say to this? 
Let the owners stand on Nantucket Beach and out yell the typhoons. The only real owner of anything is its commander. Captain Ahab, a better man than me might well pass over in thee what he would resent in a younger man. I and a happier one. Dost thou so much as dare to critically think of me? On deck! Nay, sir, I do dare, but to say to you... Maybe this will temper your daring. Captain. I always keep it loaded, Mrs. Dabak. Remember this. There is one God that is Lord over the earth, and one Captain that is Lord over the Pequot. Sir, I ask thee not to beware of Starbuck. Thou wouldst but laugh. But let Ahab beware of Ahab. Beware of thyself, old man. Thou art too good a fellow, Starbuck. So, Ishmael, there is the Indian Ocean ahead of us, and the sun behind us. We've had a charmed sailing of it. Oh, to be sure. What chances will stop in Madagascar? <laughs> With the old man? None at all, lad. You must know that by now. There she blows! She blows! It's that spout again. Tall and silver. The same one as the other night, if I'm not mistaken. Gallants and royals! Archie to the helm! Don't lose it! Aye, aye, sir! She blows! Look, Fedula jump up mast like a rat. Do not think him, old man. He thinks quite well. Do you think he really knows? The same spout as before, by moonlight. The same spout? How can you tell? Same I know Ishmael's face. Is it Moby Dick? Perhaps. You hope it is, don't you? <laughs> We won't find him tonight. Too far. Look. He's gone. Gone. Again and again we spotted that ghostly spout. Always tall and silver. Always straight ahead. Always too far away to catch. As if it were drawing us further and deeper into the unknown. Remember the ounce of gold, men. The ounce of gold awaits he who raises me, Moby Dick. <laughs> what say ye, men? Are ye brave? Aye. What is your oath? God keep me. God keep us all. Death to Moby Dick. I, Ishmael, was one of that crew. My shouts went up with the rest. My oath welded with theirs. And the stronger I shouted, and the more did I clinch my oath, because of the dread in my soul. We of the Pequod girdled the earth. We crossed the Atlantic, then the Indian Ocean. We sailed past the Philippines, 
swept the coast of Japan, trawling the great sperm whale cruising grounds of the world, before sailing down to the line in the Pacific, where, among far-flung archipelagos and endless horizons, Ahab counted on finding his foe. With constant pacing, his ivory toe pitted the deck, and he had the carpenter cut him a stopping hole at his favored spot where he would come to anchor, his eye sweeping the horizon. And his shadow, Fidella, likewise stalked the deck, avoided by all as though he carried a plague. Captain, what ails thee? Thou art white under thy scorched cheek. Despite the sun, I feel the cold. Fedora, last night I had that dream again. The two hearses, one following the other. Have I not said, old man, that neither hearse nor coffin can be thine? Before thou couldst die on this voyage, thou must see two hearses on the water. The first, not made by mortal hands, the second built of American oak. Ah, a strange sight that, Fadula, a hearse and its plumes floating over the ocean with the waves for pallbearers. Believe it or not, thou canst not die till it be seen. And I shall still go before thee, thy pilot. And before I am Gonzo, if that ever before, then ere you can follow, I must appear to you once more to pilot you still. Is it so? Well then, I believe all you say, oh my pilot. I have here two pledges that I shall yet slay Moby Dick and survive it. Take another pledge, old man. Hemp only can kill thee. The gallows, you mean? I am immortal, then, on land and on sea. Immortal! <laughs> on land and on sea. Deep in the vastnesses of the Pacific, you go for months without sight of land. One day merges into another. All sense of onward motion disappears. You and the ship are rocked in a cradle of emptiness. A burnished sky, a gilded sea, the round horizon bounding all. We had not spoken to another ship for weeks. Sail ho! Sail ho! A ship! See that, young'uns? Fresh company! Had enough of your ugly faces. Archie, maybe they'll have newspapers. Maybe they have women, Ishmael. Maybe they come from islands. Ship ahoy! Has seen the white whale? Aye! See you this! What's that on his arm? Arm like captain's leg. White bone. Ahab's boat was lowered and rowed to meet the newcomer the whaler Samuel Enderby of London, who, judged by her bleached timbers and patched sails, had been out for upwards of three years. 
We hoped against hope that Ahab would agree to a gam, that is, to lay up alongside while the crews swapped news and stories, and we watched intently as he was hoisted onto the Londoner's deck. Come aboard, Captain Ahab! Come aboard! Welcome. Well, Captain Boomer, an ivory arm, eh? I can top that. <laughs> well, let us shake bones together. An arm and a leg. <laughs> an arm that can never shrink, and a leg that can never run. <laughs> Where didst thou see the white whale? How long ago? The white whale? I saw him on the line last season. Yeah, and he took off that arm, did he? Aye. Well, he was the cause of it, at least. Spin me the arm. We lowered for a pod of four or five whales, fastened on to one, when suddenly up breaches a bouncing great whale with a milk-white head and hump, all crow's feet and wrinkles. It was he. And harpoons sticking in near his starboard fin. Yes. They were mine. My irons. Give me a chance, then. This old whale runs all a foam into the pod. Snapping at the fast lines, like to freeze brethren. An old trick. How it was exactly, I know not. But we got a harpoon in him. Then his tail, straight up in the air, like a marble steeple. And as I was groping for the second iron, down comes the tail, like a falling tower, and cut me boat in two. The second iron caught me just below the shoulder and dragged me under. Down to hell's flames, I was thinking. When, thank the good God, the barb ripped clear along the length of my arm, came out and my wrist, and up I floated. Well, it grew black, and off it came. But what of the whale? What became of him? Didst thou cross his wake again? Aye, twice. And could not fast. <laughs> Ain't one limb enough. I'm thinking Moby Dick doesn't so much bite as he swallows. There would be great glory in killing him, I know that. And there is a shipload of oil in him. But he's best left alone, don't you think, Captain? He is, but he will be hunted for all that. What is best left alone is what most allures. How long since thou sawest him? Why, only a week or two. Then I won't keep you more. Stand by to the work! Bless my soul. This man's blood, it's a boiling point. Which way head? East, I think. <laughs> Will you and your men not stop and have a gam? Captain Ahab, he's hundreds of miles away. This can profit you nothing. The other ship makes sail. Are we not to stop and exchange news at least? Devil take him. That's what I say. Uh, Mr. Starbuck, will you speak to him? Yes, I will. The devil has already taken him. Up, help! Stand by to make sail. Captain Ahab, the men deserve a gam. They have not seen another ship for months. Let us stop a while. What time is it? It lacks five minutes of noon. Give me my apartment. They have seen Moby Dick. Is that it? Silence! Let me see. The sun is hot today. Thou tellst me truly where I am. Ahab took his sighting of the sun with the quadrant, 
and as was his wont, scribbled the calculations on his ivory leg. But canst thou cast the least hint where I shall be? Canst thou tell me where is Moby Dick? This instant thou must be eyeing him. No? Thou art mute? Foolish toy. Curse thee! No longer will I guide my earthly way by thee! And in front of the clustered crew, Ahab hurled his quadrant to the deck and trampled it to pieces with his living and dead feet. I trample thee and thus! My God, Queequeg! Look at the face of Fedullah. There's a look of triumph if ever I saw one. Why he do that? Our captain has lost his reason. What are you talking at? We have the compass, we have the log and line. To the braces, up helm, square in. Here is a job I have saved for you, and now is the hour for it. Captain. Aye, how hot the fire is. The sparks burn, but thou... thou livest among them without a scorch. Because I'm scorched all over, Captain Ahab. Not easily canst thou scorch a scar. What work thou making? Welding this old pikehead, sir. There are seams and dents in it. And canst thou make all smooth again, blacksmith, after such hard usage as it hath? I think so, sir. I suppose thou canst smooth almost any seams and dents, never mind how hard the metal. Ah, sir, I think I can. All seams and dents but one. Look here, then. Can you smooth out a seam like this, blacksmith? Like the one on my brow? If thou couldst, gladly would I lay my head upon thy anvil and feel thy heaviest hammer between my eyes. Answer. Couldst thou smooth this scene? Oh. That is the one, sir. Said I not all seams and dance but one? Aye, blacksmith, that is the one. It is unsmoothable, for though thou seest it in my flesh, it is worked down into the bone of my skull. But away with this. No more gaffs and pikes today. I want a harpoon made. Something that will stick in a whale like his own thin bone. Looky here. Here are the gathered nail stubs of the shoes of racing horses. <laughs> Thou hast here, then, some of the best and stubbornest stuff we blacksmiths ever worked. I know it. These stubs will weld together like glue from the melted bones of murderers. Captain Ahab, may I speak to you? Now wait, Mr. Starbuck. I am engaged on important business here. But, Captain... This harpoon for the white whale. For 
of a white fiend. Now, for the bards. Here are my razors. Take them and make the barbs as sharp as the needle sleet of the ICC. Your razors, sir. Take them, man. I have no need for them. I neither shave nor sup nor pray till... But here, to work. Close the door, Mr. Stubb. This is only for your ears. Mr. Starbuck, what say you? You saw the captain smash his quadrant in a rage. Aye. Think you that was the action of a sane man? Ahab is Ahab. He is lord of his ship. Captain is lord of his ship when he is led by godly reason. When he hides a boat crew in the hold for his own desperate designs, he puts his judgment into question. When he rants and raves about the white fiend, I fear for the lives of the crew. When he calls for men's blood to temper his barb, then for God's sake, I say he is mad. He is a danger to himself and to all in this ship. What is your meaning? I put to you that we, the mates, should take charge of this ship. On what grounds? On grounds of insanity. His obsession has overpowered him. It will end by overpowering us all. Dangerous talk, Mr. Starbuck. That is mutiny. What sort of captain smashes his instrument of navigation? He has his ways. We all know that. His ways? Aye. His ways are the ways of fire, all aflame with furious life. But I have seen it wane of late, Stubb. And it will wane at last, down to dumbest dust. Of all this tormented life, what will remain but one little heap of ashes? Aye, but sea coal ashes. Mind that, Mr. Starbuck. Sea coal, not your common charcoal. You are prepared to follow him even to the depths of the ocean. I was at the helm once when I heard him mutter. Someone thrust these cards into my hands, swears that I must play them and no others. And damn me, but he acts right, Mr. Starbuck. Live in the game and die in it. Live in the game and die in it. Towards evening of that day, the Pequod was ripped of her canvas, and, bare-poled, left to fight a typhoon that struck directly ahead. It burst out of a polished sky, like an exploding bomb upon a dazed and sleepy town. When darkness fell, sky and sea roared and split with thunder and blazed with lightning. A great rolling sea, dashing high up against the reeling ship, stove in Ahab's whaleboat at the stern and left it dripping through like a sieve. Stop! Marcus thou that the gale comes from the eastward. The very course Ahab is to run for Moby Dick. What of it? The gale that hammers us to stave us, we can turn into a fair wind that will drive us home. What is there is so... 
Heave to! Brace chopper up, damn you! Captain, the band is working loose! We must send down the main topsail yard! Strike nothing! In God's name, sir, we will lose the mast! None but cowards send down their brain trucks in tempest time! Jesus, Mary, and Joseph! Look aloft! The mastheads! St. Elmo's fire! Have mercy on us all! My God, awake of your life! I, men, look up! And we looked up, and were transfixed by the pale flames shooting from each masthead, like three gigantic wax tapers before an altar. The men stood on the forecastle, eyes gleaming in the pale phosphorescence. The parted mouth of Dagu revealed his shark white teeth, which glowed strangely, and Queequeg's tattooing burned like satanic blue flames on his body. Stranger still, Ahab's harpoon, lashed in the bows of the shattered whaleboat, now spouted a tongue of forked pale fire. The white flame but marks the way to the white whale! God is against thee, old man. Tis an ill voyage, ill become, ill continued. Let me square the yards while we may and make a fair wind of it homewards. The terrified crew ran to obey Starbuck, but Ahab seized his flaming harpoon and brandished it at the fleeing men. Stand back! I will transfix with this harpoon the first man to cast loose a rope's end. Lucky here! Thus, I put out your last fear. And with one blast of his breath, Ahab extinguished the unearthly flames. Oh, Queequeg, what sorcery is this? Hush! A miracle! And almost at once, the tempest dropped, as if it too was in awe of Ahab. While he slept in his cabin, we set to work repairing the damage. And, at length, the first mate went below to report a fair wind. Captain Ahab. Captain. Asleep. And next to his musket, the very one he pointed at my heart. Is it really loaded? <laughs> and powder in the pan. Shall I spill it? Oh, I come to report a fair wind to him, but how fair? Fair for Moby Dick. Fair for this man here who would fain kill all his crew. Shall this crazed man be suffered to drag a whole ship's company to doom with him? It would make him a murderer of thirty men. But... <laughs> if he were this instant put aside, that crime would not be his. Not reasoning, not remonstrance, not entreaty will thou hearken to. Is heaven a murder when its lightning strikes a would-be murderer? 
Would I be a murderer then if... Oh. A touch. And Starbuck may survive to hug his wife and child. But if I wake thee not to death, old man, who can tell to what unsounded deep Starbuck's body may sink? Where art thou? Shall I? Shall I? Mommy dead. I clutch thy heart at last. <laughs> the wind has gone down and shifted. Four and main topsails are reefed and set. <laughs> A better man than I might have killed thee. Sir. man, what is our course? East, southeast, sir. Thou liest. Heading east at this early hour and the sun is stern. Look at the compass. We are heading east. Look at the sun, man. It's rising behind us. We are going west. <laughs> I have it. The thunder has turned our compasses. Thou hast heard of such a thing, eh, Stabba? Aye, but never seen it. About helm? Bear up into the wind. West is east and east-west. That is all you need to know. Now, after so long and wide a cruise, Ahab seemed to have chased his foe into an ocean fold. Yet even as Ahab's piercing eye awed the crew and cast them into a constant gloom, the eye of Fadullah awed him. Fadella lived on deck. No one ever saw him sleep. No more did Ahab. He kept the quarterdeck. The clothes the night's dew had wet, the next day's sun dried upon him. He ate a few mouthfuls where he stood. His beard grew long and tangled. But though the two men's watch was as constant, they did not speak, but gazed upon each other, as if, in Fadulla, Ahab saw his forethrown shadow, and in Ahab, Fadulla his abandoned substance. Queequeg, where are we now? In Fiji Grant. Are we near Kokovoko? Not near, no. Much far away. Many weeks sail. Don't you want to go back? What if we were to pass it? I think you will never go home. For me, to stay on a scrap of land year in, year out, when I have the whole ocean to roam, <laughs> I could not do it. Not even to see your father and mother? Dagu is right. If you put me down, how long before ship pick me up? Ship ahoy! Oh, a ship! Tis the Rachel from Nantucket! An American! No use hoping we stop, Ishmael. 
Captain Gardner. Captain Ahab, hast thou seen a whaleboat adrift? No, we have seen no boat. Hast seen the white whale? Aye, yesterday. Tell me, how was it? Our boats were all engaged when the white hump of Moby Dick loomed out of blue water and our fourth whaleboat lowered in chase. It fastened, then vanished. I beg you, Captain, will you join in the search? My son is among them, a boy of twelve years. I beg you, Captain Ahab, for eight and forty hours, let me charter your ship. I will gladly pay for it, and roundly, if there be no other way. For eight and forty hours only, you too have a boy, Ahab. Do to me as you would have me do. Captain Gardner, I will not do it. Even now, I lose time. God bless you, man, and may I forgive myself, but I must go. Mr. Starbuck, look at the binnacle watch, and in three minutes, warn off all strangers. Let the ship sail as before. My God, Queequeg. Captain Ahab, three minutes! The dawn after our sad encounter with the Rachel brought as perfect a day as the very first morning. The sky a lacquered blue, the sea rolling in calm, majestic swells. It found Ahab leaning on the ship's side, gazing down into water as clear as air, tracing his shadow as it sank and sank before his eyes. Sir, uh, a fine day. I, Starbuck, it is a mild wind, a mild sky. On such a day, very much such sweetness as this, I struck my first whale, a boy harpooner of 18, 40 years ago. Forty years of privation and peril and storm time. And of those forty years, I have not spent three ashore. When I think of this life I have led, oceans away from the wife I wedded past fifty, and sailed the next day, leaving but one dent in my marriage pillow. And then the madness, the frenzy with which for a thousand lowerings Ahab has chased his prey. What a forty years fool has he been. I am so weary. I feel old, Starbuck. Stand close. Let me look into a human eye. Better than to gaze into see your sky. This is the magic glass. I see my wife and child in thine eye. Sir. You can see them for yourself again. We only have to turn for home. Stay on board, Starbuck. Lower not when I do, when branded Ahab gives chase to Moby Dick. 
that hazard shall not be thine. No. Not with that faraway home I see in that eye. Oh, Captain. My Captain, why should anyone give chase to that hated fish? Let us fly these deadly waters. Let us home. Let me this instant alter the course. I think, sir, they have such mild blue days even as this on Nantucket. They have. <laughs> I have seen them. Yes, no more. It is done. We head for Nantucket. Come, and let us away. Think of your boy waiting for you. Think of your wife. Captain? What nameless thing is it? What cruel, remorseless emperor commands me that against all natural longings I so keep pushing and crowding and jamming myself on? There is no thing. We are the masters of our fate. Oh, by heaven, man, we are turned round and round in this world like yonder windless. And fate is the handspike. And all the time, that smiling sky and this unsounded sea. I cannot listen to this. Hound ho! There she blows! She blows! The right way! A hope like a snow hill! Movie's dead! Ah! In stand sail! Down top gallant! Stand by the boats! Helm there! There go flukes! Already the boats! Death and devils! Man, it is Moby Dick! Moby Dick! The white whale! Is it really him, at last? Now you will see a chase. Ha! We quick! Ishmael, we keep the ship. We do not lower. It's the stopper. Why? It is the captain's wish. What are you lowering about for? We do not lower, Archie. We keep the ship. Did we do wrong? No, Ishmael. Archie, take the helm. Stand by to span the yards. Like noiseless, nautilus shells, the three other boats lowered, and their prows sped leeward, Ahab's heading the onset. As they neared the whale, the ocean grew still more smooth, seemed drawing a silk carpet over its waves. At length, the dazzling white hump was visible, and the broad, milky forehead broke the water into a musical rippling. Then. Still far from the boats, he leapt from the water, his whole marble body for an instant forming a high arch, like a bridge over the infinite horizon. Moby Dick waved his bannered flukes, sounded, and went out of sight. He's gone. We wait. The birds! Look at the birds! The white birds were flying to Ahab's boat, where they wheeled, screaming, with joyous, expectant cries. Ahab could see nothing. But, as he peered into the depths, he saw a white spot no bigger than a weasel, rising, rising, 
and magnifying as it rose, until it turned, and there were two crooked rows of teeth. Moby Dick's open mouth and scrolled jaw, his vast bulk still blending with the blue of the sea. The glittering mouth yawned beneath the boat like an open-doored marble tomb. The dollar, the harpoon, grasp your oars. Stand by to stern. As if anticipating this, Moby Dick turned on his back, took the bows of the boat full within his mouth, and shook the cedar craft as a cat her mouse. The pearl white, bluish jaw was inches from Ahab's head, where he clung in the bows, and he, furious and frenzied, seized the great jaw in his hands, as if he could wrench his boat free. Instead, the jaws snapped shut and bit the whaleboat completely in two. From the Pequod's deck, we watched in horror. Ahab's boat had vanished, but in the weltering foam, we gradually discerned here and there a dark head bobbing, like tossed bubbles which the least chance shock might burst. Look, they're alive! Still think that was an accident, boy? Captain, here, take my hand. <laughs> The harpoon. Is it safe? Aye, sir. It was not darted. Lay it before me. Any missing men? One, two, three, four, five. There were five oars, sir. And here are five men. That's... That's good. Help me, man. I wish to stand. I see him. Going to leeward still. What a leaping spout. Hands off from me. The eternal sap runs up in Ahab's bones again. Set the sail. Five oars. The helm. But even with double-banked oars, Moby Dick was too swift. And at length, the whaleboats returned to the ship. The day ended, but the chase went on. Ahab pointing out the way, as though the whale's wake was writ on the water. All night we crowded sail, and the ship carved a furrow in the sea surface. At once more, the next morning, the masthead's cry went up, as the unmistakable head. Burst into view. She breaches! She breaches! The watch well! Thy breach your last to the sun, Moby Dick. Thy hour and thy harpoon are at hand. Mr. Starbuck, the ship is lying. Keep away from the boats, but keep near them. Look! All! Once more. We were left on board to watch, as Ahab, Stubb, and Flask led their boats into the attack. This time, the whale became aware of them. He turned on his tail 
and headed back towards his hunters. Churning himself to a furious speed, he rushed among the boats with open jaws and lashing tail, heedless of the irons darted at him from every side, seeming only intent on annihilating each separate plank. They strike! Yes! Three, four irons! They have him! Why does he not run? Look, he attacks! There can be no denying it! He is devil, that fish! The boats wheeled and spun, eluding him. But in their crossings and recrossings, the whale's bloodied threshing entangled the slack of the lines now fast to him. And as the ropes tightened, the boats were slowly dragged towards the jaws and tail of Moby Dick. They must cut the lines! Cut the line! Ahab's boat at last broke free and darted away. But with demonic cunning, the whale made a sudden rush and dragged the still-tied boats of stub and flask towards him. And with a wrench of his flukes, dashed them together like two rolling husks on a surf-beaten beach, and then dived. Behind, he left a boiling maelstrom in which chips of wreckage danced round and round, like grated nutmeg in a swiftly stirred bowl of punch. Ahab's boat pulled into the foaming pool to rescue whom he could, but then, his boat, to us, seemed drawn up to heaven by invisible wires as the white whale once more shot up from the sea, dashed his great forehead against its bottom, and sent it hurtling into the air, spilling Ahab and his crew like matchsticks into the blood-streaked foam. The wounded whale lay in the water a moment, but then... As if satisfied that his work for that time was done, he pushed his pleated forehead through the ocean and trailing his knotted hamper of intertangled line, continued his leeward way at a weary traveler's pace. We sailed into the wreckage and Queequeg dived into the water to fetch out his captain. Captain! Captain! Ah! Stop! Blast! Catch the rope! There! Pukon! Take my hand! Steward! Hard grog and towels! Mr. Stubb, take this! Are you hurt? Nay, lad. Tis fish blood. Where is the captain? Here! Mr. Starbuck! He cannot stand. Your leg! But a splinter! Here, lean on me! Aye, Starbuck. Tis sweet to lean sometimes. Thank you, Craig. He has dismasted me. Yeah. Mast head there! Which way does he go? Dead to leeward, sir! Up helm, then, and pile on the sail. Where is he? Hold me up, man. Where is Fadilla? 
He must have been caught in your line, sir. Not gone. My pilot! Not gone. I caught among the tangles of your line. I thought I saw him dragging under. The harpoon, too? Did you see it? No. No, fool. This hand did dart it. Tis in the fish. Aloft there. Keep him nailed. All hands to rig the spare boats. I'll ten times girdle the unmeasured globe, but I'll slay him yet. Great God! But for one single instant, show thyself. Never wilt thou capture him, O oh man. In Jesus' name, no more of this. Worse than devil's madness. Shall we chase this fish till he swamps the last man? Shall we be dragged by him to the bottom of the sea? Starbuck. I have felt strangely moved to thee since that hour we both saw. You knowest what. Thou knowest what in one another's eyes. But Ahab is forever Ahab. This whole act's immutably decreed. T'was rehearsed by thee and me a billion years before this ocean rolled. I am the fate's lieutenant. I act under orders. And thou, underling, thou obeyest mine. Let me go, Starbuck. Stand round me, men. You see an old man cut down to a stump. Leaning on a shivered lance, but ere I break, you'll hear me crack. Until you hear that, know that Ahab's hawser toes his purpose yet. Do you feel brave, men? As fearless fire! Aye, aye, as fearless fire. Aye. How valiantly I seek to drive out of others' hearts what's clinched so fast in mine. Fadullah, gone. And in his prophecy, he was to go before, but still was to be seen again ere I could perish. How sad. There's a riddle. Like a hawk's beak, it pecks at my brain. When dusk descended, the whale was still in sight to leeward. Once more the sail was shortened, and all night the sound of hammers and the hum of the grindstone was heard, as men toiled at rigging the boats and sharpening fresh weapons. Meantime, of the broken keel of Ahab's craft, the carpenter made him another leg. Aloft there! What do you see? Nothing, sir. Nothing? A noon at hand? I've oversailed him. He's chasing me now, not I him. I should have known it. The lines, the harpoons he's towing. I, I have run him by last night. On all our long voyage, never had we encountered such soft air, such burnished seas.
A whole hour passed then, gold beaten out to ages. Time itself held long breaths with keen suspense. Then, at last, some three points off the weather bow, Ahab descried the spout again, and from the three mastheads three shrieks went up as one. But Ahab's voice was loudest. There she blows! Pray her up! Forehead to forehead, I meet thee this third time, Moby Dick. Stand by the crew! Stop! Plask, stay with the ship. The white whale is mine. Quick, quick, to the whaleboat. I will have your arm to pull me. And you. And you. Oh, God, us? Aye, it is our turn. Come, Ishmael. We fight together. Starbuck. Sir. For the third time, my soul's ship starts upon this voyage. Aye, sir. Thou wilt have it so. Some ships sail from their ports and ever afterwards are missing. Truth, sir. Saddest truth. Some men die at ebb tide, some at low water, some at full flood. I feel now like a billow that's all one crested comb. I am old, Starbuck. Shake hands with me. Forward! Captain! My captain! Go not! Go not! Hold, then! Break your backs! This time we have him! He sounds! Hold up! Archie, take the helm! Me pass. I will dot the iron quick, quick. Look, the water, the white whale. He comes. Hold on. The whale's vast marble bulk bristled with lances old and new bubbled with sores, was snagged in a hamper of lines. And in his desperate flailings, he turned and showed us his other flank. And there, lashed round and round to his back, pinioned in the turns of the line reeled round him, was the half-torn body of Fadilla. His clothing frayed to shreds, his distended, milky eyes turned full upon Ahab. Oh, God! Jesus, Mary, and Joseph! Befooled! Befooled! I, Futula, I see thee again. I, thou ghost before. And this... This, then, is the hearse that thou didst promise. But I hold thee to the last letter of thy word. Where is the second hearse? We cannot fight this fish! He is a tomb! Where is he gone? There. 
He's been to ship. I'll have him yet. Hole! Crack your spines! He goes for the ship! Ahoy! Ahoy there! Perhaps the whale saw in the Pequod the source of all his pain and persecution. Perhaps he thought it a nobler foe. I know not. But turning from the whaleboat, he bore down upon it now, churning himself to a great speed. From the ship's bows, the crew stared as the white, pleated forehead grew nearer and nearer. Retribution, swift vengeance, eternal malice were in his whole aspect. And the solid buttress of his faceless head smote the ship's starboard bow. The ship, the second hearse, built of American hope. We can do nothing. They will swamp us. But they are sinking! Hush! No flag on the main truck! Dagu there! Hammer up my flag! My ship. My ship. Ye unsurrendered spires. Thou haughty helm. Thou only God bullied hull. Death glorious ship. Must thou perish. There thou art, thou all destroying but unconquering whale. You come for me, do you? I turn my body from the sun. Oars! Towards thee I roll. Yes, to the last I grapple with thee. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. Loss I give up my spear. The harpoon darted. The stricken whale flew forward. With igniting velocity, the line ran through the groove. Ran foul. Ahab stooped to clear it. He did clear it. But the flying turn caught him round the neck. He was shot out of the boat, ere the crew knew he was gone. My God! Roll for the ship! The old man's gone! The ship? Where is ship? Ishmael. Where is Ishmael? In a trance, they saw the ship's fading phantom. Only the masts were above water now. At the main top, Dagu still clung to his lookout in the act of nailing a banner to the mast. 
But even as they watched, concentric circles of the ship's vortex seized their lone boat and its crew and each floating oar and every lance pole and spinning all, animate and inanimate, round and round in one gigantic whirlpool, carried the last chip of the Pequod out of sight. Almost. The Seahawk that followed Dagu down to the waves, taunting him in his last act of nailing the flag to the mast. This bird chanced to intercept its wing between hammer and wood, and feeling that ethereal thrill, the submerged hunter kept his hammer clenched there. And so the bird, with archangelic shrieks, his captive form folded in the flag of Ahab, went down with the ship, which, like Satan, would not sink to hell till she had dragged a living part of heaven along with her. Then all collapsed, and the great shroud of the sea rolled on as it rolled five thousand years ago. The drama's done. Why, then, do you hear this tale? Because one did survive the wreck. It so chanced that when the whale was struck for the last time, I was he whom fate threw from the boat and dropped astern, far from the whirlpool, but in sight of it. One thing only conquered the vortex. The ship's life buoy burst up through the waves to float by my side. Buoyed up for one whole day and night, I floated on a soft and dirge-like mane. The sharks glided by with padlocks on their mouths. The seahawks sailed with sheathed beaks. On the second day, a sail drew near, nearer, and picked me up at last. It was the Rachel that in her retracing search for her missing children, found only another orphan. Ahab was played by Garrick Hagen, older Ishmael by Trevor White, and young Ishmael by P.J. Brennan. Starbuck was played by Richard Lang. Queequeg by Sani Muliyama Sayali'i. Archie by Adam Redmayne. Stubb by Simon Lee Phillips. And Dagu by Cobner Holbrook-Smith. Captain Boomer was played by Mark Meadows. Peter Coffin was played by Howell Evans. Captain Peleg by Mark Meadows, and Elijah by Dorian Thomas. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The music was composed by Stuart Gordon. Moby Dick by Herman Melville was adapted for radio by Steph Penny. It was a BBC Cumbry Wales production directed by Kate McCall.